about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi, my name's Lish and I'm going to read for us Psalm 46 tonight on page 559. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our second reading for tonight is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, 1 to 11. If you have one of the pew Bibles, if you flip across to 1116, we'll start from there. This is one of my favourite passages. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Roger, if you haven't met me before. Great to be with you this evening. Becky, that was just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. Uh, I felt like most of the sermon's been preached, actually. It's just a wonderful testimony to God's grace and the way God works in people's lives. And actually, that's what we'll partly see tonight, just the way God works and how beautiful he is in, in the way that he, he works in our lives and what he does. So let me pray as we come to this passage in Romans chapter 5 and uh, as we start to unpack it together. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege that we have of coming together as your people tonight, uh, to hear your word, to sing praises together, to have fellowship with one another. And we know that you want to work in our lives. You want to change our lives. You want to draw us close to yourself. And we pray that as we look at this word together, that that's what would take place and that we might leave here as people uh, willing and desiring to follow you in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the truth is, we live in a very broken world. Uh, Amy pointed this out in the prayers, actually. She mentioned a whole number of situations that have been taking place in our world. And I guess if, if you've been watching the news like I have over the last few weeks, you're just kind of hit by the brokenness of our world. Uh, the Palestinian-Israel conflict, the terrible shooting down of that, that Malaysian airline, the terrible situations that are happening with Christians being thrown out of Iraq and, and just, oh, just almost every page you open the newspaper, you see the brokenness of this world. Now, as, I, as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking about the fact that actually it's not just out there, is it? Very often the brokenness actually touches us. Uh, it touches the lives around us. We see it in friends and family. We see it in those around us and it's, it's kind of devastating and then, then we might also notice that we actually contribute to that brokenness, uh, sometimes in the ways that we speak and what we say and, and the way we think about other people. We actually contribute to that brokenness as well. Now, there are many, many, many people, including yourselves probably, who are trying to do something about that brokenness and they're making great advances and they're seeking peace and they're hoping that things will work out in a better way. But every time we do that, we do that from our own brokenness. And so even with our best efforts to try and fit, fix the broken things of this world, we, we actually add to the brokenness in the process. And so we're in this kind of huge mess. And that's the point of Romans 1-4. to It wants to point out to us that we are in a huge mess that we live in a broken, broken world. And that even though we try to fix it, we can't. Romans 1-4 also reminds us that actually the reason we're in this broken state, in this world that we live in, is that we have ignored God. Our relationship is broken with God and irretrievable. We can't do anything about it. But Romans 1 to 4 says, actually, God has done something about it. He has reached out to this broken world. Now, he's done it justly. He's not just going to turn a blind eye to all the things that are taking place. 
He sees the atrocities, even the ones we don't see and know about. He sees all of them. He sees what our hearts are like. And he says, I'm just not going to wipe that away and just ignore it. Something needs to be done about this. Justice needs to be served. And so we hear of Jesus as he enters into this world. And God's wrath falls on Jesus. The punishment that we deserve falls on Jesus. Justice is served by falling, God's wrath falling on Jesus. And then we are offered, we are offered freedom from that wrath because of what Jesus has done. We're invited into him. Uh, The name of the series, we are raised with Christ. We die with him, we are raised with him. Our sins are forgiven. Now, in many ways, that's what Becky was talking about tonight, the wonderful gift of God's grace as he reaches out to us in our completely powerless state where we, we can't do anything. And so as uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 puts it, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Paul's point as he comes to Romans chapter 5 is, all these things have taken place. If you've put your trust in Jesus and you believe that he stood in your place, if you believe that, you now stand justified because of what Jesus has done, because of what God has done in his reaching out to us in Christ. What Paul then does in chapters 5 through 8 is kind of explain what that means. What difference does this justification make? How does that work out? How does that impact us? What, what, how does it, what, what, what evolves from this point? If we have now a right standing with God, what does that look like? What shape does that take? Well, tonight we're going to think about peace, grace and hope. Those are the three things that are mentioned initially. But then we're also going to think about how that relates actually to the brokenness of our world and particularly to the issue of suffering in quite a surprising way. So you might like to come with me to the text if you'd like to open your Bible in uh, Romans chapter 5. We've begun at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, stand justified before God because of what Christ has done, we've placed our trust in him. Since that is the case, what happens? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned before the idea of justice the idea that justice has been served, but actually more than that has been served, we have peace with God. A little bit later on in the passage, it's put this way. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Not only has justice been served, But we are now no longer enemies with God. 
the hostilities between God and us have ceased to exist, are over because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We have been moved from being enemies to actually being his friends. And so therefore we now have peace with God. It's a state of affairs. We're no longer at war. It's a, it's a development beyond being just justified. We're now at peace. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To be at peace with God. No, to be no longer his enemy. Wow. That's just wonderful. It touches your heart. That God would reach out that way and make sure that we didn't remain enemies and that now we're at peace. But as Paul continues, he continues by saying this. He says, not only that, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. As soon as you hear the word access, I can't, my, my thoughts start to go to the idea of a high priest uh, in the temple. Uh, you might remember in the Old Testament, uh, the whole, uh, high priest accessed God in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And people had to go through him to speak with God at that point. But here, and so we think of passages like um, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we now have access, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we now have access, just like the high priest had access, because Jesus is our high priest, into the very presence of God. And so you you feel like that, that that, that maybe this is where this verse is going, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. But actually, digging around a little bit more, I think it's saying something slightly different. It's saying we have gained access into the dominion of grace, into the kingdom of grace. It's a bit like now we have entered the throne room of grace. And we're standing in it. If peace was something that Jesus gave us through his death on the cross, we now stand here and now in the domain of grace. In God's unmerited favour towards us. It surrounds us. All around us. Now, this picture kind of doesn't really describe it that well, but you get this sense of, there's a, a, a surround around you. I know it's a salt pan. It doesn't look particularly like grace. But there is that sense of, you know, it's all around you. You're standing in it. And I think that's the picture that Paul is painting here, that we're standing as a result of what Jesus has done in the dominion of grace. God's grace. We have peace. We've been reconciled. We're standing in grace, but as we stand in grace and as this guy looks into the future, we also have hope. Notice what Paul says here. 
We have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice, we have joy in the hope of the glory of God. Paul's point here is, yes, we have been reconciled. We're at peace with God. Yes, we now stand in the dominion of grace. We are in his grace. But actually, there's more to come. There's something wonderful to come. Paul prays for the Ephesians like this, and he kind of picks up this point again when he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The Bible consistently promises us a new future, a new future where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, where there will be no more sadness, no more death, where every tear will be wiped away. A beautiful future. A future full of hope. Just as real as Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not wishful thinking here. It's a hope that is just as real as Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, that's what this hope is based on. Jesus' death and resurrection. And so Paul is saying is, as a result of being justified through faith, you now have peace, grace which you stand in, and hope as you look into the future. It's like he's got all bases covered, isn't it? The past, the present, and the future. Everything's covered because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. And if we place our trust in him, he's got everything covered. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? That God has everything covered because of what Jesus has done? Isn't that just heartwarming? That God would do that for us in our completely broken world that God would reach out to us in that way and so call us to himself. Of course, we know that all of this comes about because Jesus dies on the cross. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God is committed to us being at peace, standing in grace and having hope. He's so committed to it that he sent his own son to die in our place. And we stand justified through faith. Now all of this gives a context to what Paul has to say next. Because Paul, as we've seen in Romans chapter 1 to 4, has noticed that this world is a broken place. And Paul knows that we will face suffering. Paul knows that this world is broken and therefore our relationships and the way we go about things and the things that happen mean that we will confront suffering. And so it's like Paul takes this thought and says, okay, what are the implications of being justified through faith for suffering? 
And so that's what he does as he unpacks this passage a little bit further. It's like we've got the, we've got the backpack there or the, the bag there. We've, got, we've understood what justification's done. We've understood how that's unfolded. Now, as we take a step into the future and we recognize that around us there may be suffering, how do we think about it? How do we engage this at this point? Well, this is what he says. Not only so, not only these things that we've just been talking about, not only so, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that's, that's kind of surprising. We rejoice in our sufferings? I mean, is Paul mad? Like, no one really likes to suffer. That's a terrible thing to say. Is Paul trying to say, well, maybe we should just pretend that we really don't suffer and be stoic about it and say, yes, I'm going to rejoice because I'm suffering and... No. Is Paul being masochistic? Is he saying, oh, this is kind of a fun thing to do, to suffer? No, I don't think he's saying that at all. I mean, Paul suffers, and the person he speaks about, Jesus, suffers, so it can't be either of those things. Notice what he says. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings, and this is the clue, because we know that suffering produces. See the, the key there? We know that suffering produces something. It's not the suffering itself that we're rejoicing in. It's what happens as a result of the suffering that's possible to rejoice in. And I think what Paul actually unfolds for us here is a sense in which we come to a deeper, richer understanding of God's goodness towards us. That's why he's able to say we can rejoice because he's actually saying in the midst of suffering, as we engage suffering, if we understand all these things that God has done for us in Christ, as that more fully realizes itself in our lives, then our knowledge of these things will actually deepen and become richer, we'll be stronger, not weaker, we'll be people who know what it is to love God in a deep way, not a shallow way, will be richer, not poorer, because of the suffering. Now, I want to suggest here that this is not easy. Um, it's clear that this is a difficult area, and if you're in the midst of suffering, particularly long-term suffering, these words are quite challenging to hear, and I acknowledge that. But Paul's saying here, actually, there's something very rich here if we've grasp what God is doing about our broken world. He says, rejoice in your sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Uh, if you already know that God, that you are no longer an enemy with God, you have peace with him, that you stand in his grace and that there's hope for the future, then actually it's possible to persevere. Knowing actually that the worst has been dealt with. And there is a beautiful future ahead. 
Now, it's interesting, this, this kind of perseverance idea is also picked up in 1 Peter, where we read this. Oh, sorry, in James, where we read this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Here's the same theme again you can hear. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. A single-mindedness. Actually, not a single-mindedness about your suffering. A single-mindedness about God. Uh, In my previous church... I had the great privilege of uh, meeting together with older people in nursing homes. We used to go in every week in one place and every month in another place. And very often people were suffering uh, in terrible ways. And I remember one woman who had a long, long term illness. Her illness meant, and this this is. just, you can imagine how painful this would be. Her illness meant that she'd actually lost her hips. They couldn't actually replace her hips. I know that sounds quite odd, but they really couldn't do anything. And so her legs sort of hung off her body. When, when she came into the room, she would be resting on this, on this frame and she would just shuffle, and you could see the grimace of pain in her face. And it had been that way with her for years, and there was nothing they could do with it, do about it. But you know what? She was just single-minded about God. Every time she turned up, she wanted to know and understand who God was and what Jesus had done. She just loved hearing from God's word. As she spoke to the people around her, her face radiated the love of Christ. She was focused on God. She was a tremendous witness to all those around because of her single-minded perseverance and her focus on God in the midst of her pain and suffering. It was just beautiful to watch. She suffered... But she persevered because she knew there would be a day where there would be no more tears or pain, where she would be able to run again. Now, of course, in those circumstances and in circumstances where we're called to persevere, it develops our character. Our testedness. In 1 Peter we read, You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Now the picture here is of a refining by fire, of getting rid of the dross, getting rid of the things that don't really matter. And that's what happens in the midst of suffering. As we persevere, those things that really don't matter get drawn away and there's a kind of testedness about who we are. And we become more and more like the people that God has called us to be. 
as we depend on God, as we understand what he's done for us, as we seek him out in the midst of our suffering, our character develops. The way that we operate, the way we love, the way we seek to treat other people. And that was exactly what happened in this woman. In the midst of her pain, her character shone through. Her love for God shone through. It was clear she was tested and proved genuine in her faith as she held on and persevered. And then interestingly enough, Paul comes back to this idea of hope. He says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And our hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Now once again, this is the hope that we spoke of before. The hope of what God is going to do and the way he's going to make all things new. But I guess as we persevere, as our character develops, as we depend on God, as God continues to work in our lives, we also understand just how real the hope is. It's not about wishful thinking. 1 Peter puts it again like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth, result of being justified, into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a real hope. It will change. This broken world will be dealt with. Our suffering will be dealt with because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And as we under persevere and as our character develops, so does our understanding of hope and our deep knowledge of hope. And our longing for that day when all things will be different. Now if at this moment you're thinking this sounds like, wow, this is really hard. This journey looks big. I I get that I'm at peace with God. I get that I'm standing in his grace. I get that there's hope in the future. I understand that perseverance is needed and that my character needs to develop. And there's hope at the end of that. But it just sounds too hard. I'm dealing with difficult things. I find it difficult to lift my eyes. I'm just kind of caught with the present. Well, listen to where Paul goes. He says this. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given to us. See, the point here is that we are not meant to do this alone. God demonstrated his love in that while we're still powerless, he came into this world and he called us to himself. That love, that love which saw the sacrifice of his own son, is the love that is now poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're not meant to do this alone. God's love will sustain us. God's Holy Spirit will continue to work in our lives to enable us to face these things. Because we are powerless. We are unable to do it by ourselves. And we need his strength. 
Brothers and sisters, we live in a broken world. Our justification through faith matters. Understanding it, grasping it, letting it sink deep into your life matters. Because as we grasp and understand these things, our lives will change and we'll be able to engage the things that we meet in such a way that there is hope. I invite you to let God pour his love into your life and let the Holy Spirit change you and equip you for this life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word and we thank you for the way that you have so marvellously worked in this world in the midst of the brokenness that we find ourselves. And we thank you that you are determined not only to call us to yourselves so that we might stand justified through faith, but that you have provided a way forward as we look into the future and that you want to fill our hearts with your love through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.